What if you had the ability to make tiny homes for as little as $9,000? And on top of that, you already knew that glamping businesses and unique short-term rentals are a cash printing machine if you can dial in your processes and your systems. Well, then you would be my guest today. My guest today is in his mid-20s, and he is an absolute phenom when it comes to this business. He's going to teach us everything that you need to know from starting out and running just one unique short-term rental to honestly growing a business where there's going to be over 200 units. You heard me correctly. He is going big time. We dig into some challenging and insightful conversations in today's episode. You're going to learn how to finance a glamping business, whether it be a small scale business or something that's multi-million dollars. You're going to learn how to build really unique domes, schoolies, tiny homes on wheels, but keep the price down. Most importantly, we're going to talk about how you can extract as much from your glamping business as possible. I'm talking about increased bookings, better marketing, and increased revenue. As always, all I ask is that you guys like the video and maybe leave a comment down below. The comment can say anything. It helps me fight the YouTube algorithm, get my message out there to more people. And on top of that, it really helps me continue to get industry experts to come in and give us advice. I'm really happy to have you on my channel. Um, you actually can impose a lot of wisdom to my audience for two reasons. I don't always get a lot of people who are builders as well as people who are, you know, run glamping sites and run and have uh, short-term uh, rentals as well. So could you let me know uh, who you are and also what tiny structures you have built? So I'm Micah Jube. Uh, I build tiny homes and glamping uh, operations. And right now we're building an RV park in Oklahoma. Um, so I got, I got started um, with container homes, then moved into like a little, I did a school bus, some hilltop stuff. Um, and redid a few cabins and smaller buildings. It's funny you say that about the builders um, and the owners being two separate people. I, I don't know how builders can stand that. I mean, once you build one of these things, I'm like, don't you wanna own that? I mean, you mm -hmm. see the income, you see the dream and you build one. And I always think these builders have gotta get into it. And I've always been scared. Like if some of these big framing companies got into tiny homes, they could build like 20 in like three days. But it, it's all about the dream. It's all about what you wanna do, where you wanna spend your time. Absolutely. But to be honest, I mean, not just to, you know, toot your own horn, because I've spoken with other builders before. We both know those, and I, I don't want to throw dirt in any names, but the tough sheds and the, those types of things, the quality isn't the same quality that you get from a builder. Because um, no. I've seen some people do some like shed to conversions and tiny homes and that type of things. And every time I'm talking to a builder friend, they're just looking at it and they're just can like spot all the little mistakes. And the fact that it's, you know, some guy in a warehouse just throwing needles into it. Yeah, yeah. So would you highly recommend people um, to and, and this is you being honest, not as a tiny home builder, but what's your take on some of those pre-made sheds and converting them into a tiny home? So it's funny, I, I got a friend out here and he owns a shed building company and he does a good job. And I, I think he does. He's got about 17 employees. They crank out, you know, a thousand sheds in a, in a year. And I have looked at getting one and, you know, putting a tiny home inside of it, especially with the financing options that they do. You know, you can get 20 sheds and they'll finance it through the 12 months, and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's cheaper to build it yourself every time, no matter what. When I, when I break down the lumber costs, it is always cheaper to build it yourself and so the quality changes from shed builder to shed builder to shed builder it always does and okay you'll find a good one that does a good job or like one of the big trends right now on instagram is you know do you know home depot sells houses and you go to their yeah. lot and they've got these little houses and then you can finance them 
Um, yeah, the quality will change even between them because Home Depot just uses local builders for their tiny homes or for their okay. sheds. Um, so they don't even build them themselves. It, the quality is always going to be better when you're building it for yourself, no matter what. It okay. Is. So when you hire a builder, it's not their house. When you buy yeah. from an office store, it's not their house. So when you do it for yourself, there's something special about that that's going to have a unique key detail of that it's yours. You want to impress people. You want to show it off. You want to tell your family about it. And it's, it's just going to be better every time. I also think the more unique it is, the more it stands out on Airbnb um, and other places where, you know, you're if you're running a glamping business, I always tell people you don't have to have the best glamp site in the nation. You have to have the best glamp site in your area. Like most of the time people aren't like flying, except if it's like a luxury type of stay. Um, you know, you really are just, you know, kind of battling out. It's more of a, a, a regional type of thing. And on top of that, I there's a glamp site actually maybe 30 minutes from the glamp site that I own. And myself and that owner are good friends because the rising tide lifts all ships. What's your take on that? Yeah. I, I think it's when people try to go way out there and like, I'm going to build the world's largest pineapple and rent it out. And you're just like, all right, man, like you do it your way. I, yeah. Starting, starting with something that more people know about. So you can get more people's advice. So like starting with like a bell tent or starting with a tiny home. It's going to be mm-hmm. easier, um, but I'm all for uniqueness. And I mean, our strategy is, yeah, you, you want to get those bookings. I mean, that's your number one thing is like, how do you get those? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a photo behind me of uh, a nighttime photo. And it's taken off an iPhone 13, I think. And we just turn all the lights on. We put a light inside the hot tub and we turn the lights on in there and we wait till it gets real dark. And then we take these photos. And what we found is these nighttime photos, as long as you have them on your listing as like the cover, that's what people mm-hmm. are looking for. They're looking for a night wow. there with their, you know, significant other. And that's why they're going to book it. They don't, they don't care the size. They don't care where it is. They're just like, that's why I'm going to book it. It's because you're going to give me that nighttime dream. And I, I think those, those little things are important, but I mean, I have a dozen of these things and you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't, they don't all have to be unbelievably unique from each other. Well, that's actually, before you move on, that's a really big gem for myself and my audience, because I know for myself on my Airbnb, I don't have a nighttime photo of my A-frame. So I'm like, okay, I just learned something new. I got to go hurry up and make sure I get one of those up, especially with the season coming up soon. But can you let me know um, out of the tiny homes or the what uh, unique structures that you have built that uh, you are currently managing on Airbnb? Like, can you Talk to me about your tiny portfolio. Cause I know you have so, other normal and more traditional structures as well. So, um, 2020, um, I had, yeah, so it would have been, it would have been 2020 and we had a rough pregnancy with our first kid and we were managing 10 Airbnbs in the Colorado spring area. Um, and they were, they're difficult. I mean, every hot water heater is different. Every window is different. Every door is different. So when you're, when you're the manager, you're taking a 20, 25% cut. It sounds like a good deal, but I mean, you are managing. And when they're 30 minutes apart to each house. So that's where we came from was managers. And I always wanted to do it. And I owned one of the houses myself. So that, that one paid good, you know, and it was, it was a good income. And I, and I would recommend it on any 22 year old kid that wants to do that. And so that's what we're doing. And then, you know, COVID hits and well, I mean, we lose you know, $20,000 worth of bookings. And we're like kids. I mean, we're just like, we're, we're managing houses for these people that own real estate. We're convincing them to turn their long-term, long-term mm-hmm. rentals to short-term rentals. So COVID hits, we lose a bunch of clients. 
and we lose a bunch of money. And uh, it's kind of freaky, but we're just glad to be out of the hospital. Baby's safe. And um, my wife, who does social media, she was learned about this program on Snapchat that's called Spotlight. Have you ever heard of Spotlight on Snapchat? No, I don't even use Snapchat. So like, so, keep, keep talking, I'm learning. So Snapchat is just, it's just this app that people use. And basically you send a photo back and forth. It's like FaceTime, but it's still photos. So you, you send a photo and you'll see like, you know, out on the golf course, what are you up to sort of thing? And um, they tried to make a for you page to kind of compete with TikTok, compete with Facebook, compete with Instagram. And so they started like paying creators to make videos. And if you had one go viral, they'd pay you a bunch of money. And so we learned that you could make one go viral. And so her most viral TikTok, she just took it, put it over onto Spotlight, which was on Snapchat. And they paid her like $10,000 because it just got an unbelievable amount of views. And so we're, we're sitting there. We have our Airbnbs. And when this money comes into the account, I, I'm like, we got to build a tiny home. And so I, you know, do all the math, do all the supplies. And I, it's probably about $8,000 at the time in supplies. And I have it all in my cart. I've got all the metal. I've got all the wood and everything like that. And I'm driving out the highway, and I just keep seeing all these videos about container homes. And I was just like, man. So I called my, I remember I pulled over on the side of the highway in my truck, and I called her. And I just said, are we going to regret building a tiny home as opposed to a container home? I was like, I know it's like another, it's another $1,000 to put, a contain, put it in a container. But I just said, there's a lot of stuff we're going to regret. Like, I. A container is a tiny home and a container home. A tiny home is just a tiny home. So I said, I feel like it covers two boxes. I, I think, you know, we should do this. And she was like, yeah, I agree. Let's, um, let's do the container home. So I, I started calling people. I was like, does anyone know where containers are? We're not ne- near a port in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's hard to find containers. Or I thought it was. Now I know where to find them, no problem, because mm-hmm. I buy a bunch of them. But so I call my buddy, and uh, he does commercial contracting. Um, for big government contracts. And I called him and I was like, hey, Dan, I was like, I need a shipping container, like a 20-footer shipping container, and I, I want to buy it and turn it into a tiny home. Or no, I, what was funny is I, I called him and I was like, I need a container. He goes, you're going to turn it into a tiny home, aren't you? <laughs> like, I am, because this guy knows me and he knows my yeah. ideas and the way I think about Airbnb. And and I was like, yeah, I need one. He goes, well, do you have cash? Do you got green cash? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, all right, 2500 bucks, which is which is super cheap for a 20. I, okay. I mean, he was giving me a deal. And what's funny is I don't even know what the prices were back then because I wasn't buying them. So like, I don't know if it was a great deal, but like now I would pick one of those up. And I mean, now they're, those would be $4,000. So I got okay. $500. I ordered a tow truck. They showed up, grabbed it, brought it over to a friend's place. They dropped it on the lot. And I just started cutting it apart and trying to figure out the way to do it. And I'm the first one I built took me because I'm, I build things quickly. So Mm-hmm. I mean, it took me two and a half months, which is, which was a while. I mean, it's 160 square feet. It's smaller than your apartment. Um, and it's the same size as the one you see behind me right now in those photos. Um, so 160 square feet, it's eight by 20. It's uh, got about eight foot of headroom inside the building. It's got a sliding glass door. It's got a little window. It's got a bathroom that's 32 inches by seven feet got a full shower toilet sink that is the kitchen sink and the bathroom sink because it's right outside the bathroom door it's got one door queen size bed fireplace at your feet you know so you really went all out with uh, it you didn't build yeah yeah absolutely i mean the the fireplace um back when i remodeled airbnbs when i was like 21 i would always tell people pay for the electric fireplace i said they're like 200 Mm -hmm. bucks 
and they look amazing in photos. Because really, I mean, we're a photo business. You know, the same with mm -hmm. Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. It's a photo business. Like that first photo, that is most of your clientele is coming from that first photo. And if it's not good. Absolutely. You have to get the click. Yeah, you got to get the click. You got to get the click. So how much did that tiny home end up costing? Like how much did the first, I mean, well, you're right. It's not just a tiny home. It's a shipping container, tiny home. So how much did that first shipping container, tiny home cost you? Because I'm certain that must have probably is one of the most expensive ones. You didn't know a lot. You probably were paying the stupid tax. How much did that cost you? So I, I mean, I was an experienced do-it-yourselfer. Don't let anyone like tell me I can't do it sort of guy. So mm -hmm. I want to say it was under $9,000 because I got the container for 25. It'd be funny to go look back at that spreadsheet because it's not that old. I'm, I'm 25. So, I mean, this is, this is three, three, four years ago. Uh, yeah, it was under $9,000 for sure. It was under, I did, the deck was cheaper because it was pressure treated wood as opposed to Trex. Two by six framing for the deck, which people wouldn't recommend. They'd want to go two by eight. Um, the walls were, had two by fours on the flat. So I didn't have any top plates or bottom plates. So that saved you some lumber. And then this was right before lumber just skyrocketed. I mean, it, mm -hmm. lumber, lumber had about doubled in price, but lumber went up to about six times the price late 2020 and early 2021 lumber i mean a sheet of plywood that should have been 10 bucks which is 10 bucks today by the way so it all came back down it was 75 dollars for a sheet of plywood it was ten dollars nine months earlier it was wild yeah so even with your experience on airbnb um you know managing for others with this being your first uh shipping container home for yourself were you nervous were you like how did you feel about going into it and also how did you set yourself up for success so i it's a good question because it's, it's hard to remember feelings. You ever think back and it's very difficult to remember feelings about difficult choices you made. Um, I'm sure we were nervous. Um, and I, I built it and I started building it out and I showed my dad the plans and I said, I, I don't have anywhere to put this yet. And dad, my dad said, well, why don't you just put it in my yard? Because he had, he had one glamping tent in his yard. And mm -hmm. I said, yeah, let's do it. And so I brought it over there and it was snowing and there was ice and the tow truck kept slipping. We almost got stuck in the ditch and it was, it was, it was a nightmare, but we got it in place. And then we just started building it one piece at a time. And yes, especially when you're building something yourself and maybe you know this because you've built a few things yourself, that self doubt starts creeping in. Like, is anyone even going to book this? Like, why am I? Absolutely. And I copied an Airbnb offline. If you see my black container with the overhang and see this one black container that Levi Kelly reviewed, it's like the same thing. Theirs is 40 footer and mine's a 20 footer, but they didn't invent tiny homes and I didn't invent no. tiny homes. So I was like, this one seems like it's working out. So I did black and I did cedar on the outside, the cedar trim. And it, I mean, it, it booked like no one had, I mean, it booked like it was the most valuable thing in the world to these people. I mean, we're just, Absolutely. Like March yeah. was booking at like $200 in a weekend. And I'm like, what? Or in a weekend day. So it'd be like $400 for the weekend. Wild. It was wild. That's, it, a, that's it, a really big gem right there because I always tell people success leaves clues. 
Um, and you know, so you could do it that way, or I can go back to my downtown Manhattan Soho art days and, you know, uh, bad artists copy and good artists just steal. And I always say that because when you're looking to get into something, you know, look at people who are doing it at a high level. Like you said, they didn't create it themselves. They didn't invent the wheel. We all are just doing different iterations. So if you're going to do an iteration off of something, Look for someone who's doing it good. Like, make sure you are following the footsteps of people that are are doing it awesome. So that's really cool that that's kind of what you did. Um, but one thing that kind of floors me is how the heck did you get it under 9K? I mean, you said some of the building uh, tactics that you did. What if I was looking to set up a container home myself? I'm not the best builder in the world. And I was going to look for a builder. Like, how could I translate my urge because i know that's 9k before COVID hit so the prices are probably much higher now but how does one even start a conversation with a builder to get something that isn't a hundred thousand dollars because some of these tiny homes for sale now they're insane yeah yeah absolutely um so i mean there's quite a few things that i could probably put into this conversation about how to get the price down um roof lines on tiny homes right now may be the biggest price difference so you see one of these tiny homes and they've got like nine pitches on the roof. That's a lot of like geometry for a framer to figure out. I mean, it's going to take them a few weeks to frame just the tiny home. And so a single pitched roof is no matter what going to save you on labor costs. Um, so we do mainly single pitched roof. So the first container home I did was a single pitched roof. The school bus, um, which I'll throw up behind me here for the people watching on YouTube. It has three roofs. That took an extra like two, three days of framing. And we built okay. the school bus in 11 days. So two, three days is like, it's a large percentage of the time. And the roof was a pain in the neck because you got all these different roof lines. So I'd say that's when you're originally designing, we're not talking about appliances. We're not talking about all the fancy lights. We're not talking about all like the cool pictures and the interior design you're going to do with your Samsung TVs. We're talking about just the framing of it. If the roof can be a single pitch, I think you're going to save quite a bit of money. And another thing is your framer is going to like you more. I mean, right yeah. now your contractor is going to be like, oh, cool. You have four walls and one flat roof. On top. Your framer is immediately going to be relaxed about it. He's like, yep, I'm going to be able to frame it in a day or two. But as soon as you start putting pitches on the roof, it, it becomes quite a headache. And you need quite an experienced framer. And so you're going to get more leaks. You're going to get more. I mean, it's going to. So find, you know, a modern design with a single roof is probably one of the better ways to save money on a tiny home. Yo, what's up? This is JS Bronze. We're going to get right back into today's conversation. I just quickly wanted to talk to you about the Keep It Tiny Club. If you are serious about starting a unique short-term rental or glamping business this year, then this is the club for you. If you're interested in networking with other people who are serious online live events, Q&As with industry experts, sharing information, and hey, maybe even having a direct one-on-one -on -one conversation with me, then check out www.keepittinyclub.com to learn more. But hurry up because we're having a ton of virtual online live events happening all the time, and I don't want you guys to miss out. Cool, cool. And so that school bus or schoolie, as the cool kids call it, right. um, <laughs> You built that in 11 days. As you said, you like to build quickly. Uh, how much did it cost you to build and how much are you making from it? How much uh, is like the average nightly rate? So the nightly rate, uh, which I think we're in the summer. So in Colorado, the summer and the winter vary, even though we don't, I would like to say we have a, a full year season. You don't ever shut down. I thought we had an off season, 
until I moved to Oklahoma where they truly have an off season where like no one mm -hmm. books anything for four months. Um, so in Colorado, we have 12 months. That's fine. In the, in the summer, I think the highest we got on the B bus is what it's called. We got, I think, 375 for a night. Um, and then at the low end, we try not to drop it beneath $100. My manager, does, he tries not to drop it beneath $100. He's my father-in-law. So he, okay. he doesn't, he, he likes keeping it up a little higher. He says, every time I go under $100, and I, and I trust him on this, he says, he, you, know, you get people that are just kind of like complainers and a little bit like that. And that depends on your area. Because in Oklahoma, I don't think we can even get a single night over $100. So it just, it depends mm -hmm. on your area very much. And you'd rent out your unit quite a bit before you get to know that. Um, which people yeah. are going to be good. At so it your price point. so the highest you make in a summer is three seventy five, and roughly how much did it cost to build? Yeah, per night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the building cost on that one. So do you know Zealous the uh, YouTuber? No, I'm not familiar. So, so Mr. Beast gave him a million subscribers. So it was, it was like the coolest giveaway that he ever had. So they had a competition, and Beast gave him a million subscribers. He had this bus and he called me and was like, I need to make it into a, make it into like a zombie vehicle for some YouTube video. And then after that, he was just sitting on a property and I asked him if I could buy it from him. And he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll sell it to you for like, I think he sold it to me for $2,600. And then my wife and I wanted to move into it before we had our second baby. Um, and then we got 11 days into it and we couldn't get it to start. Like we couldn't get the engine to start. So like the house is almost finished. I mean, it was 85% done um, and we could not get the engine to turn over. And that, and that's too bad because like we were driving around the property like maniacs. If you go watch this yeah. video, it's, it's, it's really funny, but we couldn't get it to turn over and I couldn't get a hold of the mechanics that were trying to do it. And so, and then, so any which way we ended up moving in uh, with her parents for a few months until we closed on our other property. Um, so it kind of, the bus kind of sat there, but I think, so 2,500 is what Zealous gave me the bus for. And then I think we spent another 15,000. Yeah. And it, these are really close numbers. Mm -hmm. 15,000 on framing it from the base up. And, and we really cheated. So the schoolie people give me a lot of crap for it because I posted on their, their blogs and stuff. And they're like, that just, yeah. We just so how is it not a schoolie? Saw, we just took a sawzall and cut the entire back of the bus off, and then just oh, okay. like, built a tiny home on top of it. So if you see in the got front, it. like it's got wheels and you can drive it around. But we just took a sawzall and turned it into like a giant flatbed truck, and then built mm -hmm. a tiny home on top of it. Because in my experience with schoolies, it is hard to remodel something inside of a metal box, and same with container homes. Building something stick framed is way more fun. Let's, let's be honest, like when you see this house, it, it's a bus with a house on top. It's more book. Yeah. You know what I mean? It looks even cooler than most, most schoolies because it's just, it's just I, a house on top of the bus. It's funny. Yeah, it's unique. I, I, that's one of the first things that I noticed when I saw it is that it does look like a tiny house on the, like just on top of a school bus. Um, so out of the structures that you've made, um, what things have you noticed in terms of booking like i spoke with someone the other day and they uh have a couple different tiny homes that they built on their land and they it's funny because one of the ones that they built that was the cheapest makes them the most money because it was the most unique so out of all the different structures you've made have you noticed any trends in terms of that you know can go back to finances where it's just like this one has the best roi or this one is gets booked the most yeah absolutely i mean 
effort does not equal income. Like just mm-hmm. because you spent so much time on that one couch refurbishing it does not mean anyone that's booking on Airbnb for football weekend knows that you spent that much time on that couch. Like mm-hmm. it, it's the same thing with TikTok and YouTube with with my wife. Like it just because we spent so long making one YouTube video does not mean it's going to hit the trending page. And sometimes mm-hmm. you'll spend. 30 seconds on a video and it won't and it just it you don't know the black containers with cedar siding book out like crazy and we painted two containers one of them we painted blue and the other one we painted gray and i thought they looked cool and my dad thought they looked cool and my wife thought they looked cool and they booked 30 percent as i mean it was it was they were one third as the black ones it was bizarre and just and you're just like why and then, but the, and the, those ones were cheaper, so that they weren't any more expensive. But yeah, I, I would say the color, the color black with the with the with the siding, uh, with the wood siding, it, it you we have not beat that container. It's uh, this one right here. I mean, this one right now is our champion, mm-hmm. the Cash Kings, because they just they just make so much more money, and they're so much easier than most of the big tiny homes. So these these are 160 square feet. I mean, that's, that's a smaller tiny home. Most people would see that and be like, that's not even a tiny home. Like, that's, that's very, very small. But people like them. It's kind of a fad. The container home is kind of a fad. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I think in fear of blowing it up and making everyone go out there and doing it, um, my A-frame is all black with, like, very, like, pine insides, like, very light and airy insides and all black outside. And now my entire glamp site, like, I'm building a fence very soon that's pretty prominent. Like, if you're on my land, you'll be able to, like, really, and it's going to stand out. And I'm doing that all black head to toe. The bathhouse that I've created is all black head to toe. It's kind of like a theme for my glamp site. And I really like it just because it stands out so much more, especially in a sea of green. Um, You know, some people like, you know, uh, staying in places that are a little bit more rustic. Um, But I do feel as though when you put out a more modern vibe, you're able to get higher nightly rates. And that's just, you know, brass tacks, you know, and I just think that to be true. Um, What? Yeah. What's your opinion on that? I was going to say that. So you're the black and the wood. We we were building an RV park. Uh, here in Oklahoma, it's about 200 units, and all the buildings that were on the property because we bought an old horse ranch that we're turning it into um, an RV park. It we're doing all black and wood. It it's just easy. We we found a, a store here that has paint that's like way cheaper because it's recycled, and we just are painting all the buildings black and doing the the siding. So not only is it like the coolest color and it looks so unique, it's also saving us like tens of thousands of dollars on paint because the paint buildings now is ridiculously expensive. So it's fun. so. I'd love to get into that. First, how did you come up with the idea to, you know, set up an RV park? Um, just talk to me about that because I know it's very difficult. It's a large endeavor. So how did you decide to, to walk down that road? So basically, the, the reason we did this is we were ducking and diving the building apartments all over the country. So when we have, we have friends in the space, we have us in the space. And so Colorado is where, is where it's at um, for building apartment regulation. I mean, they have some building departments that are extremely hard. And so the ICC code um, is adopted by counties. They decide whether or not to adopt the code. The code is made by the federal government, basically. And it's recommendation based on engineers of safety and non-safety things. And there's a difference between a code and a permit. A permit is something you have to pull with a local jurisdiction. 
And a code is something that's actually recommended by the federal government. Like, hey, this is what you should do to protect you and your, your family, basically. Like, you should have smoke detectors in every bedroom. And if a local jurisdiction decides to adopt the ICC code, they will force you to have smoke detectors in every single bedroom, right? And the problem that we started having is in a jurisdiction where you build a tiny home, they come out there and they say, well, you can't do that. You didn't pull a permit. So we build everything up to code. Everything's built to code. Yep. But it's not permitted, which is a big difference, meaning it's safe, it's fun, everyone gets to enjoy it, no one's going to get hurt. However, the county didn't know what we were doing in Colorado. And so the inspectors showed up to my dad's property. They showed up to one of my other properties and basically just said, like, we have no idea what to do with this. Like, they have no clue what hole to put you in. And what I have decided is that every single glamping operation, every tiny home, every container home, any little unit that isn't like a main dwelling unit on a property is an RV in a way. What it is, is it's a unit that you set there temporarily and it plugs in. And that is the only way, I think, that every jurisdiction in America will understand what we're doing. So when you have a tent, you're going to plug it into a pedestal. Because what an inspector is looking for and a county is looking for is, is, a, is a, an end point. When, they, when you pull a permit to put in a faucet, they want to see you have your hot and cold water hooked up to the faucet, and they want to see it end somewhere. If you can turn off your water, that's it. That's the end. And the problem a lot of people are having with tiny homes when they're trying to permit their campgrounds is the inspector shows up and they go, well, how do we even permit a bathroom that's in your backyard? Like, we've never had to even think about this before. And if you have a pedestal, which is an RV pedestal with a 50-amp and a 30-amp plug, and you have a 4-inch drain and you have a spigot that turns on and off, to an inspector in a county, that's the closed, that's a closed circuit. That is something that's legally allowed in any county. Um, and you're allowed to ask for it and get it permitted, get it inspected, get it set in place. And then bring in your tent or your tiny home, set it next to it, and plug it into that pedestal. But that's that's how we've done it. And then this county in Oklahoma, we just they don't have any building or zoning regulations. So that's why we, that's why we came here. So. Okay. Okay, cool. So you actually, it's funny because you just gave us so much info on kind of how to get around those things in the smartest, wisest decision. But then also, I mean, at the end of the day, that one of the best things that you can do to not have, or to get around those things is to not have to deal with them at all. So you're starting yeah. an RV park in an area where, you know, it's, you don't have to deal with a lot of those different regulations. Correct. So in this, in this county in Oklahoma, we um, sent a message to the county commissioners and we said, you know, we, we want to build this. Like, what are the codes and zoning that we have to do? Any, anytime you build something big, you have to ask the county what, you know, what, what they think. They said, we have no building codes or no zoning regulations. So you can build whatever you want. Um, and I said, that's, I mean, that's bizarre. I've never even heard of a county. Most people will tell you I've never heard of a county like that, that is wild. Yeah. I said, could you please sign me a letter saying this? And when I put together the package for the people that were going to be involved in the project, I sent that letter along with it where I'm saying, we're allowed to build whatever we want. And they signed us a letter saying we're not going to, you know, because I want, if they're going to sue me after a couple of years, I want to have this letter and be like, you guys told me I can build whatever I want. Absolutely. Here, yeah. You know, we do things. Um, we still need to pull permits for a few things. The state has the power over the county. 
And so the state will have one inspection on a permitted septic system that is massive. I mean, it, it'll be for 75 units, just one. Septic. Yeah. How, how large is your RV park going to be? So we're going to have 205 units, I believe. Yeah. Okay. 205 I'm units. Positive. We're going to have 205. Um, so it'll be like 90, it'll be 100 RV sites, um, 10 luxury tiny homes, and then we'll have eight container homes. And then whatever else is left is either glamping or tree houses. Okay. Wow. That's, that is, that is really large. And how, um, how are you going to go about like starting? Like, like what is the first thing that you do? I mean, after you get it all set in stone in terms of talking with the County, uh, you know, getting the permit that you'll, the one for the septic tank, like what is step number one on such a massive project? So step number one is the feasibility study. And a feasibility study is something that you would do for like large hotels or large RV parks. And I would recommend that people just get good at doing them because we didn't do one before we bought the property. And luckily it came back very positive. Like we're going to be doing great. And the air DNA on our property is very good. Um, and I would recommend people doing before they purchase property is just study up on what you're going to make. Like if you, if you put in a studio apartment on a property anywhere in America, what's it going to make you? And does it change county to county? It, it changes from block to block in some cities. I mean, you're, you're, where did you say you are? Uh, I live in New York City, oh, but my land is in upstate New York. Well, New York City, and so it's the famous one, Airbnb versus New York City. Um, yeah. That, I mean, that one changes block to block. I mean, in mm -hmm. massive amount. So what, what I do when I look, analyze a property is I look at the zoning, I look at the codes, I estimate how hard it's going to be build something in that county and then before i do any sort of like work on anything like looking into financing looking into getting anything done i just go to air dna on or bigger pot what i do to cheat so i don't have to pay for air dna's expensive system just go to biggerpockets.com click on their tools go to their airbnb tool and then it'll let you punch in any address in america and it will spit out a number for gross revenue so you go in there you you know punch in like uh, colorado springs colorado and I, I think in a, a one bedroom, like a, like a studio is going to make you something like 40 in gross in, uh, in Colorado Springs. And then it varies from block to block and like where, how close you are to the Broadmoor or Pikes Peak or the Air Force Academy. Okay. And this, this is crazy. I have so many questions. Um, how many acres uh, is your RVP, RV park on and how did you find the land? So here in Oklahoma is an old horse ranch. Uh, this nice guy named Matt, he has two kids. He's lived here with his wife for 15 years. Um, and he's selling it for, um, he was selling it for 750,000 and he was selling the 10 acres next to it for, uh, 350,000. Um, so we have 2000 feet of lakefront. So we're on a lake, which is cool. And, um, very, that's like the whole region. Like we got it. I mean, you, you gotta be on a lake in Oklahoma. I mean, why else are you in Oklahoma? <laughs> Um, yeah. So what happened was we we wanted to buy the property from him. We were talking to him. We go under contract on the property. We think it's good. Um, it's just on a lake. Basically, that's our only stipulation for the property is it's on a lake. It's going to be profitable. And then we find out through a, the assessor that 32 acres. So we're well. We're okay. So the first property we're going to buy from him, which is which is you know right next to the next property, is 22 acres. So the 22 acres we find out that um, like. 15 of them are in the floodplain. Like the water actually comes oh. up this high. 
And so we're just like, oh, so we have like three buildable acres, like nothing. Mm -hmm. And I go, but what does that actually mean? So I'm doing all this research with GRDA and I'm trying to figure out what this actually means. And the water like cannot come up that high, but it does give you once again, a building restriction where they're like, you can't build past this line. So out of the 22 acres we're looking to buy, there's only like three or four acres that are buildable. And we're like, that's crazy. And also, you, you can't build close to the water. It's so far away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I asked GRD, you know, what, is, what does that entail? And they said, well, you know, like, you, you, can, you, know, you can drive down there. You can walk down there and stuff like that. But we don't want anything that's permanent in the floodplain. And so tiny homes and tents and buses are not permanent. They're just not. And I was like, so maybe I'm the perfect guy for the job. So we asked the owner. We kind of negotiated with him a little bit. We said, if you give us that other 10 acres for free, We'll still buy the property now that we know. And uh, he did. So we ended up getting all 32 acres for 750000 And uh, so we moved down here in August. And uh, we've been in the middle of building it out. So we got 30 sites now. Um, and we're working on building 10 tiny homes that are around um, 400 square feet. They'll go up to 800 square feet, but they start at 400. And then people can actually buy them so that they can have an, a lake house that's a little bit more affordable than most lake houses. Okay, you're continuing to blow my mind. Um, so you bought 32 acres for around 750000 mm-hmm. You had an amazing, savvy idea to get the most out of it and to, you know, kind of you know, maximize what you could get out of it, learning. Because some people might have taken that setback and just said, oh, man, throw their hands up and walk away. But yeah. you persevered on. Um, and I was going to ask you, so where are you guys at in the project? You have 30 sites already built. Are you building these sites yourself? Yeah, so we're out. Or do you have a larger team? I took my, so it's me and my wife, my two kids who are one and two, so they don't help. But um, <laughs> they're adorable, so that that is good. Um, and then my brother-in-law is, uh, he came out here with us. He's 19, but he's he's fantastic at building stuff. I, I taught him everything he knows, but um, we're, we're extremely yeah. handy. Uh, RV sites are not like Airbnb sites. I mean, we're talking about an outlet and a hose. That's all they need. So, like, mm-hmm. they bring in $400 a month for an RV site, and it's just a plug-in. Like, compared to what you guys do and what my dad does and what I did in Colorado and what I'm going to do for tiny homes, it's not. So, when, when you think, like, oh, there's two guys building an RV park, that's all it takes. Like, it, it, we just dig trenches and put things in the trenches. Like, it's not that mm-hmm. Building tiny homes is definitely more extreme. So, yeah, we've been here six months. We got 30 sites done. We're looking to build another 100. We're looking right now to refinance the property and actually pull out. Um, we, we doubled the value of the property, and so now we're trying to pull out some money um, to build out the rest of the park before the summer starts. Okay. And on your RV park, um, you said there was going to be tents as well. Like, Can you give us like the full top-down view? Because there's going to be places to have just pull up your RV, plug it in, Boom, wham, bam, you know, then they pull out their own RVs and they, they're on their way. But it seems like you're having an RV park with a glamping business on it mm-hmm. and, and more. As mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you said that you were also thinking about um, setting it up where people could buy something from you guys and have their own beach house. Like, yeah, yeah. map me through the, the grand scheme. So if you, I mean, if once you get it, so the glamping world is where I come from. And it's, it's, it's my, my love. And I, I think People who are doing glamping have no idea how well they're doing it. Like, go stay at a KOA cabin and then think about it. No, thank you. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. It's like the KOA is like top of the line, too, in campgrounds. Like, they're, they're a franchise that is trusted and known. So we stayed at a KOA in Florida. It's very nice. 
and um, go, I mean, just go visit a few and, and take some pictures and think about, can I compete with these guys? Yeah, you can compete with these guys. And I think they're doing a great job, at, but they're corporate. I mean, they're huge. So these KOAs, they have 200 units. They have 100 tiny homes. And they just, they just are just booking people like crazy. And when I heard that, it was kind of discouraging to me where I was like, oh, my gosh, like these huge companies have all these tiny homes and they're building all these things. And I think it's actually encouraging. I think that the tiny home space and like the tiny homes and the glamping is going to be the alternative here very shortly. I already think it is kind of. I mean, people, people don't want to stay in a KOA anymore. They want to go stay in your backyard where you have your beautiful stuff. So now yeah. that I am one of the big guys, or will be here in the next year, because I, I will have something that's you know comparable to like a KOA. Um, it is. It's just bigger numbers. You know, it's just bigger numbers, bigger headaches, bigger bigger problems. Um, we, the RV space is completely different than Airbnb, and that's what we discovered. So we hired a manager, and they're a company that manages. Uh, Basswood Resort in uh, Kansas City. They they run some KOAs. They run some uh, Yogi Bears, and so they they've got I don't know like fifteen to twenty five um, RV parks all throughout the nation that they're running, and it is a whole other world. I mean, it's a whole other world. But the thing that's different about the RV world from the Airbnb world is it's been around for fifty years. Like Basswood Resort in Kansas City has been there for like fifty sixty years, whereas no mm -hmm. Airbnb or has been around that long. So they're a little bit more refined. They, they're a little bit more in their ways. So I think we can bring a lot of value to the tiny home space side of um, campgrounds, whereas they can bring a lot of uh, the experience and how to, you know, handle like 10,000 people coming through your park in one month, as opposed to like yeah. 10 people coming. And, so, and someone like yourself coming from the glamping and Airbnb world, you know, it seems like you've realized something that a lot of people who have RVP, RV parks haven't, mm -hmm. and that is to kind of maximize it by, um, you know, kind of having it mixed use. Mm -hmm. So with a glamping business as well as an RV park. Um, so are you going to be managing and running the glamping side of the RV park? And what is that going to look like? You said it was going to be tense. So we, we don't manage uh, anymore. And mm -hmm. part of me regrets it. Um, and part of me thinks that like, I I'm a builder. I, I think people, just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're good at another thing. I I'm probably the most experienced like tiny home glamping builder maybe in the country like i don't know if anyone's like hands-on built as much as i have but that doesn't mean i'm great at talking to couples that want to spend their anniversary in a tiny home hot tub like why would i think that that computes so my father and my father-in-law run all of my airbnbs in colorado and then here the ivy group um they're going to be running our campground here so we won't manage them part of me regrets it and i and i like saying this because I do get, I love podcasts and I love books and I, I like reading them, but I, I do get discouraged when people talk too big of a game when they, when they say like, oh, like I'm building this massive thing. It, it sounds so much bigger than it is. Like 200 units is big and it's a lot bigger than what I did in Colorado. But I've even told Kaya this, my wife, man, when we first built that one container, if we would have just kept it and only did that one. There are so many headaches I would have avoided. I mean, there are so many mm -hmm. things. Like if, if we would have just kept it, it was probably making, I think it was making about 48000 a year. And that's including, that's gross. So it's including cleaning. She did the cleaning. That's including management, but I did the management. And so it is funny, like these huge campgrounds, like the big, the big giant ones, like 
they'll they'll gross a million dollars in a year, but then they'll net like four hundred thousand. And you're like four hundred thousand. That's only eight tiny homes. That's only eight container mm-hmm. homes that we had in Colorado Springs, and it's a huge, you know, ten thousand people a month coming through, sort of thing. And so, do not. I would say to everyone, don't be discouraged by the fact that like there are big players out there. Uniqueness and customer service is going to beat us big players every time. And there's nothing I can do. Like my tiny homes will never be able to compete against someone who put it in their backyard and like just like treats mm-hmm. them and gives them homemade biscuits and brings them a bottle of wine. Like there's no competing with it. So when you try to get too big too fast, I think people lose that personal touch. And I, I don't know if you can have a personal touch when you have you know a ten million dollar campground. Yeah, going at that scale. Um, and can you tell me, you know, because a lot of people would be too nervous or too scared to even go forward with that idea coming from, I build really great schoolies. I built some really nice container homes, tiny homes. Um, and then to say to themselves, I'm going to build a 200 plus unit RV park. Um, when you, and I think the main thing that most people would just stop at is I don't have $750,000 in my pocket. Right. And we both know you don't need $750 in your pocket to start. So can you talk to me about um, either the financing options that are available or the OPM, other people's money and, and grabbing investors attention and to get them on board with the project, like what you're, like what you're doing. Yeah. So I think what a lot of investors are going to ask you for, because a lot of people have money and a lot of people have a lot more than 750,000. And when you come up with a good idea, that's marketable. Um, you would, you'll be surprised at how many people will just be curious about it and want to hear a lot about it. Um, so what you do when you have a good idea is you're going to just make a very good slideshow. Like if you were in high school with a project, a good slideshow, this is how much, how many units we're going to build. Here's some images of the units that we're going to build. Here's how much money air DNA says we're going to make. Um, and then you put it together and you pitch it to people that, you know, you, you know, your grandma, she, she probably has, you know, blah, blah, blah amount of money. Hey, grandma, would, would you, would you mind giving me, you know, 60 grand to buy the small piece of land and put a tent on it? Um, and what's funny is the reason grandma has that much money saved up is she's a pretty smart lady. So she's going to immediately ask you, where are you going to get electricity on this vacant piece of property? And you're going to go, oh, like, I didn't even think about that. She goes, yeah, that's going to be 12 grand to add electricity to that piece of property. And then she's like, where are you going to put all your sewage? And you're like, oh, I didn't, I just thought I'd put a tent. And she's like, yeah, it's a hundred dollars a month for porta potty. And it's, you know, you know, $10,000 for a septic tank. And so it is funny when you, when you get denied by an investor, when they say, no, I don't want that idea. And you ask them why they're going to give you 10 to 15 good reasons that you can now go fix on your next project. So I would say getting your project idea in front of people with money right away is the way to solve your like doubting in your mind. Um, but to, to do that, you'd have to be okay with failure and okay. kind of how, how are you okay with that? Cause most people would say, I don't want to talk to anybody about my amazing idea until I have it completely done. And then they go back to their nine to fives and nothing ever happens. Yeah. I think you, you have to be okay with the fact that a lot of people are going to think your idea is silly. I mean, it, a big one that I face a lot is if it's that easy, why isn't everyone doing it? Like if it's that easy to go find a piece of property in Oklahoma and build a massive RV park, like why doesn't, why don't big corporations do it? And it's like, they just don't like people just don't do everything, you know? And when you run it by big investors, they're going to, they're going to poke holes in it and then you patch the holes. You know what I mean? You, you just keep patching the holes. And then finally what you're going to have is a project where people are like, that is really cool. And I want to invest in that. 
or the or the project kind of falls apart. But when when it, when it gets when someone comes back and says like I don't believe you in your gross estimates, go find them some numbers and say no 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 the gross estimates for a tent in my backyard are actually this high like they can make this much money. Um, it's good to be challenged on your ideas, but don't look at a challenge as a failure. Look at it as an opportunity to actually have a better you know better project idea. I hear you. And so with your project, is it a mix of, um, you know, financing from private investors as well as from a big bank or kind of like how did you set up your what you have going on? Because it was 750,032 acres and you're also building right now. So kind of how did you come up with the funds? Because I think that's awesome to teach people how they can do it. Um, So for your project, how are you going about it? So me and my brother-in-law, we have a like a, uh, what would you call it? It'd be a loan on the property to like what you'd get when you flip a house, basically. So we take the money. Uh, we had uh, we had about $65,000 worth of building uh, funds to actually build the property. And that we had to make sure we added a bunch of value to the property. And then we got a appraisal of the property that was about $2 million. So we went $750,000. We took it all the way to $2 million. And the reason it is, is it was appraised as a residential property. And then when we got it re... Uh, now it's a business. Yeah, now it's a business. So they just add up what 30 RV sites will make, plus a house, plus a barn, plus a mini golf course, like all the other things that we built on the property. And they can add those into the actual appraisal. Um, so we did a short, uh, a short. What do, you, what do you call it? A short money loan. It's, it's very quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're refinancing the property right now with a commercial SBA loan. Got you, got you. So... Um... You are going to be starting, I think you said a little later this year in terms of launching. Um, We launched, I mean, we have people that are living here now and we have the mini golf, which is open and people can come play. Um, We don't um, have the funds yet to build out like all 200 sites. And so it'll be interesting to see how the summer plays out with people staying here in the pool, you know, lounging, fishing and going on kayaks and also having massive tractors driving around. So we we trying to find a good balance. Um, I've done this before where in the midst of the summer on my dad's property or in my other properties in Colorado, where like you have a tractor right next to someone who's staying in Airbnb. Most of the time they're just pretty, they're, they find it pretty funny. Like they think it's cool that you're building another thing right next to them. Um, in this aspect, I don't know if people will appreciate it nearly as much. So depending on when we can close, cause it's kind of still up in the air, we will see if we postpone a large amount of the construction to when the season ends around September. Um, okay. So I, it's a little bit up in the air. I would like to start construction immediately and just kind of go with it. Um, but I guess we're going to see. I guess, yeah, we don't know quite yet. If we can close really quick, but the banking world is a little, a little weird right now. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I know that you're a pretty out there thinking guy. Like I can tell that you don't just like, you know, go A, B, C, D, like you're able to see things a little bit more uh, nuanced and artistic. And it's funny that you already brought up the mini golf because I was going to ask you, there is no way that you aren't going to be doing other things on this land. So can you talk to me about, you said there's mini golf already going on there. And can you tell me other different ventures or other ways that you're going to kind of diversify the income streams of that piece of land? I mean, there's no way you're not already thinking about events. You're not already thinking, um, you know, some people set up wedding venues and and other things like that. So kind of what are you thinking about? We call these, in my family, I like to call these the backflip effects. And the reason for that is when I was a teenager and I did forensics, so I did speech and debate, 
And I had a humorous speech that was just kind of a funny speech and I competed at tournaments and my dad was my coach. And there was one scene where like I struck oil in like this comic book and he was like, do a backflip because I, I was a gymnast yeah, I mean, in high school and I did a backflip and it was so out of the blue and it was so like almost inappropriate where you're like, why are you doing a backflip? And it worked great because in finals at nationals, there's like, there's a bunch of funny guys giving speech, but only one of them did a backflip, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're building your tiny home, you know, park, or you're building your RV park, or you're building your glamp site. What is something cool that you can just add? And when you don't have any building codes, I mean, we have the entire world in front of us. Like, we can build whatever we want. So, did you have you ever seen the giant potato in, uh, like, uh, yeah. Nevada, the giant potato? And you're just, yeah, the giant just potato that potato. you can rent out. And, yeah. yeah. So, Ryan Trahan did a video where he went and stayed in it, and it's just a potato. Why, why is it so cool? And it's just cool just because it is. And um, so this is, uh, this is a tree house we did that's right, right behind me. It's just cool because it's a tree house. Like, it's just like a house, but it's up 10 feet off the ground and it's in a tree. So that's why it's cool. And then, you know, this is just a container. But why is it cool? Well, it's, we cut a container half and put a, a house inside. So if you're here on the RV park, I think we have definitely been exploring ideas on what to do. Mini golf course is an easy one. We're obviously going to do a big treehouse playground. We've got a game room. And then our managers were like, because they're all excited for me. They're like, we've never heard anyone like getting property where you can build whatever you want. We're going to do, I think, uh, the world's largest Trojan horse as an Airbnb. So wow. it's just a horse that's like, it's just a huge horse basically with wheels. And I think it'll be mm -hmm. like, I think it's like 40 feet tall. I've got the blueprints. I, I built all the renderings for it. And it'll be just like a tiny home, but you got to climb a, you know, 20-foot ladder to get inside it. And it'll have a queen-size bed. It'll have a bathroom. It'll have a, a roof deck so you can see all around you. And then if you want to see the world's biggest Trojan horse, you just, you got to come to our RV park. You know, it'll, it'll be a thing where it's like, hey, have you guys seen that yet? Let's go drive down there and see it. So we're going to put it right by our big entrance sign. And it is just, something cool like a backflip where you're like that is just something cool that we got to go see and so everyone can put something cool in their in their park or their glamping operation that that makes people want to come see it absolutely we all have to kind of figure out what is our backflip you know yeah, um absolutely. i think i'm actually currently kind of thinking about that right now with my land where um you know i'm thinking about that extra razzle dazzle that pizzazz i've been looking at different ideas um such as uh, uh, like a, a deck that is uh, encased and it's meant to just lie down and look at the stars just because uh, a lot of people coming to my land are coming from New York City and we have no stars here. There's just yeah. so much light, light pollution and noise pollution are fighting each other to see who's doing the better job. Um, so when people are upstate on my land, like I keep hearing about how they just love looking up. So I'm kind of thinking of some, types of some type of deck or observation deck or something along the lines where I can take advantage of that. So that's really cool that you say that, looking yeah, for your so, back. Um, under Canvas, which is a large glamping operation, they have something called the Stargazer tent. And they have mm -hmm. one of those where they, it's, like a, it's like a plastic bubble. And the, the queen-size bed kind of like pushes out the side of the, of the camp wall and it looks up at the stars. That's a great yeah. idea. And important, get your photos to be perfect. Because you, you either animate some stars in there or not, because it's hard to grab stars with, uh, with a camera. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a terrific idea. And I think... Yeah, stargazing um, glamping site, you know, close to New York City. I, I think you'd, you'd absolutely crush it with that idea. 
Yeah, thanks. That's I, I like the way that you put that. You're already thinking of like SEO and titles. I'm like yeah. going back, like, yeah, like I'm like, wait a minute. I have to put the word stargazing. Yeah. There's no stars in New York City. I mean, the light pollution there is unbelievable. It, have you looked for the suppliers for the plastic, for the like the plastic dome thing that you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so for the dome, uh, yeah. And I've also been looking at different tents because some of the tents will have, um, like even just regular bell tents or they're not that regular, but bell tents will have, some of them will have cutouts and will have like a, they literally call it like a stargazing option sure. where just the top of the tent is much more clear and you can see through, but there's a major downside to the tents that you can see through just because that area isn't as strong as the canvas. So sometimes people have complained about uh, different trees and things like that, poking holes in it. And I'm just thinking to myself like, oh man, like, so, you know, I'm, I'm doing all the pros and the cons and the ROI and all that type of stuff that I think people need to make sure that they always do. But then I also want to make sure I've just punched fear in the face and, and, and take that leap of faith and, and get that, to it. That, that distinction is so hard to finish, like to make up your mind about, because you do, you want to do something really cool. You want your backflip effect. And then you're also like, but is it going to be such a pain in the neck to manage? And one of the big ones mm -hmm. is hot tub. So we use the soul spas, um, inflatable hot tubs, and they're like $400. And if you get them on black Friday, they're like 300. I've gotten them as low as like $250 for a hot tub, like an mm -hmm. actual hot tub. So like everyone knows when you add a hot tub to an Airbnb, you're, you're going to make an extra, it's going to be an extra $50 a night for that Airbnb. Yep. And so we do them, we keep them all, the chemicals balanced, everything like that. And I tell you what, dude, these things are a pain in the neck to keep them. And so I definitely sympathize with your fear of, of doing it. So thankfully, my uh, father-in-law, my dad have found some somewhat life balance um, with these hot tubs, but they are definitely difficult. We're, we're trying to manufacture a hot tub that will work quite a bit better for the glamping world. Um, okay. We're in the middle of it. And once once we come up with it, maybe we'll take it to market or something, but we need to find a hot tub for these people. Because people who stand in the glamping side, they, they want a hot tub. They all want a hot tub, believe me. Yeah, yeah. And I've been looking at some of these uh, wood-fired uh, hot tubs where, you know, you actually heat them up with just a, a stove. Um, and I've just been thinking about that. And I'm also thinking like, oh, man, it's a little dangerous. And, you know, all the other things that come along with it. So there's so many different options and they're so expensive. I mean, the wood fire hot tub, I was looking on, on Instagram, someone just took to market their coil and their, their coil itself is like $635. And I think it's a great idea. And I think people should look into it. But can it just keep getting hot? Like if you're in the hot, yeah. I, my wife does the ice baths, I do ice baths. And we like hot tubs and all that stuff. But 104 is like max and then 105 they say is dangerous and then once you get to like 108 like you could have a problem after like a few minutes and a wood-fired hot tub like can it just like get hotter and hotter and hotter I've, i have no idea i've never been in one i gotta build one of those too i'm gonna go i'm gonna build one after this call and just go see it yeah see how hot it gets. yeah you should yeah. you should so uh just what is some of the biggest either advice but i think people like to hear mistakes as well that you've made since getting into the glamping game because we're, we're sitting here you know two grizzly vets talking you know about you know the old war stories but you know like kind of what are some of those where you've you know maybe bit off more than you can chew or you learned a lesson very quickly as you were going through things i mean i've fallen flat on my face a bunch um and and i haven't done anything to the scale at which you have so yeah, i just wish i would have stuck with certain things longer than i did i I never, I mean, I don't even know if I managed, I, haven't, I don't know if I've had the same manager or me being the manager on a single property for more than like 12 months because it is just so tempting to just go, let's just, 
when you're frustrated, it is very easy to just say, I'm going to uproot this whole situation. And I, I think you need to know that about yourself personally, where like, if you get frustrated at a bad, a bad tenant that, you know, was there for 200 bucks a night, you go, well, it's just, it's just not worth it. Let's just shut it down. And you're like, no, go back to your spreadsheets and detach emotion from this situation and be like, no, it is worth it. We just need to make sure that the hot tub never turns off or else it'll freeze over or something. Um, so I think, I think detaching your emotions from difficult situations is something that I wish I would have done better. And then sticking with it, like I always say, like there is a lot of stress in being, you know, owning as many units as I've got now. I mean, it's just, and the ROI, like you're, it doesn't, if you have a container that does 50 grand a year and you buy another one, it's not going to make you double. Like it's just not because expansion requires business knowledge. And so I think expanding is a strategic move that you need some good mentors and some good guidance on. And obviously I'm not afraid of it because I mean, I'm doing it right now and I'm trying to, you know, 10 X my business every year, blah, blah, blah. But I, I, I miss the days for sure where like it was me and Kaya and we had one container home and that container home brought in, you know, $45,000 a year. And it was just like a good old time. Like I just, I Mm -hmm. had so much fun and there was no stress or investors or interest rates or economy or anything like that involved. It was just me, her and the container home. And I, I definitely envy people that are like just getting started when they just have one unit that they run for a few years and it brings, you know, it brings in a teacher's salary. I mean, it brings in a lot of money and Mm -hmm. I'm young. So, you know, get rich quick. That's kind of my game. You know, how fast can I, you know, become multimillionaire? And uh, I guess we'll sure. uh, I sure do miss the, uh, the lack of stress that came with having one nice tiny home that I owned to myself and me and my wife managed and cleaned it ourselves. So for people who let's go, like, let's, let's go very like micro with this for people who want to just get into it and have that one nice thing. What structure do you recommend them starting off with? Which structure is the easiest to build that will get them the most return that is also easy to upkeep? It it definitely depends on the season because I think a bell tent is going to do pretty much as well as any structure. I mean, bell, bell, there just isn't enough bell tents in the country right now. The amount of people that want to pay $100, $150 a night to stay in a bell tent in the summer, they're everywhere. And, it, I mean, some states need an air conditioner. Um, you're probably fine in New York. You don't need air conditioners. Do you have air conditioners in your tents in New York? Uh, not in, in, uh, in my tiny house, yes, just because okay. it gets super hot and uh, the back wall is all glass. There you go. So, And same with our tiny homes is that they're all black, and so they attract heat like crazy. Um, and then the bell tents, um, they're small, they're cheap. White duck has them. I think you can get like a nice bell tent that's like 16 feet around for like $1,400. And that's it. Mm -hmm. You find a flat area and you put that up. Um, that is a great Airbnb. And then if it's not booking, you know, get you some better pictures. And if, if it's not booking, you know, look it up on AirDNA and make sure like you're in a spot where it'll actually book. Um, that is a very low risk thing to do when you start to do. Um, if you want something that's a little bit more hands-off, you got to go with a tiny home that's, you know, 100 to 200 square feet. The smallest one we have is the Hilltop Tiny, um, and it's this one right here behind me. And it's on top of a hill, and this one is eight, or it's seven. The inside dimension is seven feet by 12 feet. Outside dimension is eight feet by 13 feet. And then it's got a deck on the very top that has a hot tub, and you can see, like, Pikes Peak and all that stuff, good stuff from it. Um, it it books 
just as well, if not better, than every other tiny home we have. I mean, it has a rooftop deck with a hot tub on top. So, I mean, that's probably one of the things that has to do with it. But mm-hmm. it it is an, it's a great time. I mean, that, that one's good. And if, if you did a tiny home like that, I would say that's the best one. Because they're, a normal electrician knows exactly what to do with it. A normal plumber would know exactly what to do with it. A normal framer, a normal carpenter, they can all work inside it. Whereas when you get into the container homes, I can't just call any carpenter to go help me with a container home. Or any roofer. Like, the roofers are like, we've never even seen one of these. And you're like, well. So I'd say a tiny home that's under under 200 square feet is where I would start for the simplest thing. But I, it, it makes me cringe when people spend over 50 grand on something like that. I, I mean, I'm just like, you just don't need that many roof lines. Like, get something a little cheaper. Get something used, maybe. Um, or in my, you know, in my world, I think, you know, get you some good YouTube videos and build it yourself. 